So the astute among you may notice that a couple things have changed in the sanctuary since we were together last week. The cross has gone back to the brass one. Uh, The candles have changed in the windows. And most notably, these. For those who care, these are called paraments that drape over the pulpit and the lectern. They were white since Easter. They've changed now to red, a symbol that our liturgical church seasons have also changed, that something new is happening now this morning. So we've been in Easter, a season of triumph, of joy, of vindication, as Jesus, who died, whom his disciples thought had been defeated, they thought it was all over, rose again from the dead, came and found them and gathered them together, began to encourage them. They finally began to understand so much of what he'd been teaching them. They were building momentum, and then he left. Not the way you draw up the play. He leaves. We celebrated that last Sunday, Ascension Sunday, as Jesus goes back up into heaven. And so now the disciples must be wondering again, what are we supposed to do? Today, those Pentecost. It's a day we celebrate as a beginning of that next stage in what God is up to, the next part of God's story. And it's the stage, by the way, we're still living in. Today, we remember that Jesus didn't just abandon us. And so we're actually going to go back in time a little bit to hear some things Jesus said on Maundy Thursday, the day before Good Friday when Jesus is crucified and died. As he's gathered his disciples together for the Last Supper, he also offers them words of encouragement and teaching to prepare them for what will happen next. You can find that teaching from John 13 through John 17. But we're going to focus in just on a small section from John 14 this morning to hear about why Pentecost is significant and about what it means for us to live in these days of Pentecost. So I want to encourage you to take just a minute now before we open the word together to prepare your heart and your mind and your body to listen well to the word of the Lord that's given to you. We're going to do this by singing a verse of breathe on me, breath of God, as we then turn to listen to words from the book that breathes life. So would you sing with me? You can remain seated. Listen with me for the word of the Lord. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. 
Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus replied, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you all this time, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I've spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. Or at least believe on account of the works themselves. I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They'll do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. When you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will send another advocate who will be with you forever. This advocate is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he lives with you and will be in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Today we celebrate the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, truly God, equal in glory and power to the Father and the Son, united completely to the Father and Son, yet distinct without being separate. The Holy Spirit. But who is this Holy Spirit and what does it mean for us now to live after Pentecost, to live in this part of God's story with the Holy Spirit that's been given to us? Well, we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning, and we'll do so by looking more closely at John 14, not by giving a large and exhaustive lecture on who the Holy Spirit is and what all that means, but simply by looking to Jesus' own words here in John 14. So we'll begin, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one, Jesus says here, that the Father will send at Jesus' request that will live not just with us, but in us always. And Jesus gives this Holy Spirit a title. He calls it the Advocate. That title is actually pretty significant by what it points to and means about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And that name, Advocate, in Greek is a word, uh, paraclete. Can you say it like paracletes, but paraclete? paraclete. So it's a technical term. And when paraclete gets used in a courtroom, it means something like a legal advocate or counsel. Someone who comes with you into the presence of the judge to help speak for you, to be with you, and to help sort of connect and negotiate that whole experience and relationship in a courtroom. There's another sense the word can be used of as broker. We know brokers, they connect two parties, usually trying to help make a, a sale possible between two different groups. They're a stand between, between two different people. Paraclete. It's actually a, a word rarely used in the Bible. It shows up here in these teachings of Jesus in John 14 through 17. 
And it shows up only one other time in the Bible. That's in 1 John 2. So the same writer, but a different book, a letter John wrote to the churches. 1 John 2. And there the paraclete isn't even the Holy Spirit. The paraclete there is referring to Jesus. John uses it in this way. He says, if you happen to have sin, don't worry because we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the the Son of God, comes and stands in with us, stands in for us. An advocate for on our behalf before God. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the first advocate, the mediator between us and God. And here in John 14, as Jesus is about to go through this whole process of dying and rising again and ascending up into heaven, Jesus says, when I leave, I'll give you another advocate, another to stand in for you, one who will not just live with us, but one who will reside in us forever Connecting us to God and making God known to us. Now, while the word paraclete is used rarely in the Bible, the the noun, the person, place, or thing, paraclete, the verb form of it is used all over the place. Paracleto or paraclesis, the verb. It's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. And it means things like this. It means something like calling, or summoning out. It can mean beseeching or begging another. It can mean comforting, consoling, encouraging. It can mean uh, teaching and exhorting others, not just giving information, but calling people to something. It's used all over, and it's a pretty good summary of what it means to be the church of what we are called to be doing, paraclesis, paracoleo. Think just about this worship service. We begin being called into the presence of God, being summoned, not just called as God's people, but literally called out of your beds this morning by the Spirit working within you, bringing you into this place, gathering us together as a body. We're called out and summoned. That's paracoleo. Then we're come into the presence of God and we pray for renewal because we realize that we are broken people who are unworthy to stand in God's presence. And we're consoled. We're comforted by the grace of God that is spoken over us in all of God's promises. And then we gather to hear the word. We experience teaching. We're exhorted, not just by giving information, but we're called to live as the redeemed people of God in the world. Then we come and and pray, we beseech and beg God of all we need and all that our world needs. And then as we're sent out, we're instructed and exhorted to go and be the light of Christ in the world. All of this is the Holy Spirit working within the church and within us. It's the paraclete empowering us to parakaleo. Now, we within the Reformed Church sometimes get a bad rap for not talking enough about the Holy Spirit. Um, Those in more charismatic traditions talk a lot more about things like speaking in tongues and these manifestations of the Spirit. But we talk about the Spirit. It's the Spirit that undergirds everything that the Church does. Our theological forefather, John Calvin, was rightly called the theologian of the Spirit. 
Not for talking so much about the charismatic, but for understanding that everything about our life together is only possible because the Holy Spirit is in this place. Because the Holy Spirit is within us as the very breath of God, empowering all that the church is called to do in the world. And this Holy Spirit that comes to live within us is not some impersonal force in the universe. It's not like the force of Star Wars that just sort of is and you have to tap into and use. It's personal. It's part of God in God's triune self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who's given to us to live within us and to be part of us, connecting us to God and God to us. I think that's actually pretty remarkable, don't you? Have you thought about this as what's been poured out upon you in baptism? The Holy Spirit, truly, fully God, dwelling within you, empowering you and us to do all of this, to call you out, to console you and comfort you, to teach you and encourage you, to beg God on your behalf when you come in prayer, to bring God to you and you to God. God has come to live with us by his Holy Spirit to do all of this for you and for us. So if this is who the Holy Spirit is, what does it mean for us as Christians to live in Pentecost? To live in this age of the church where Christ has risen and has ascended into heaven and has not yet returned? Well, Jesus said, as we read through that teaching in John 14, that Jesus is in the Father and the Father's in him. That if we look at Jesus, we can see the Father because they're so closely related and united to one another. That Jesus' words and works are in fact God's words and works. And he says then that if we believe in Jesus, we'll do the same works. That if we love him, we will obey him and do all that he has done too. And in fact, Jesus says we'll do greater things because he's leaving and sending the Holy Spirit. So we'll do the works that Jesus did will in fact do greater works because of this Holy Spirit. But what does it mean to do greater works than Jesus? People often do two things when they hear that. One, they, they say they don't really understand it and it must not be talking about them, so they just kind of push it aside and keep moving through this teaching of Jesus. The other thing people tend to do is they tend to think of these grand miracles that if Jesus did great things and we're supposed to do greater things, then imagine the amazing deeds of power we're now supposed to do as Christians. But how can you really improve on walking on water, raising Lazarus from the dead, feeding 5,000 with barely nothing? What does it mean to do greater works than these? Well, if we look in the context of the Gospel of John where we're reading right now, and context is always important. The works that Jesus does, Jesus says a number of times, are to show us the glory of the Father. See, in John, the amazing things Jesus does aren't called miracles. They're called signs. They're supposed to show you something. They're supposed to point you somewhere. They're supposed to point you to who Jesus truly is and to the glory of the Father at work within him doing all of this. And so I think the works we will do are greater, not because they're more grand and the fireworks are larger, 
but because they reveal more of who Jesus truly is, because they reveal more fully the glory of God that has been now completed in Jesus' death and resurrection. See, at this time when Jesus is talking, none of that has happened yet. He hasn't yet died. He hasn't yet been lifted up as a sign and show of God's glory in the world to take on the sins of the world. He hasn't yet risen from the dead to conquer death forever. That's all still to come. But as we now stand here as the church empowered by the Holy Spirit, what we're able to do in our words and work are able to reveal all of that now completed in its fullness to show the world all that God has sent Jesus to do that has now been done for them. Our works are greater because we can reveal all of this done already for you. If we stay within John and keep reading a little while further after Easter when Jesus rises from the dead when he appears to his disciples and gathers them together he says to them as the father sent me so now I send you and then John says Jesus breathes on them and says receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive the sins of any they're forgiven and if you retain the sins of any they're retained Here is Jesus, risen and triumphant, having completed the works that the Father has given him to do. And he breathes his Holy Spirit out upon his followers and sends them out to do greater works. And what is that work? To declare the forgiveness of sins to the ends of the earth. To declare all that Christ has already done. The greater works are that we are sent out, empowered by the Spirit, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. The works are greater because they reveal something so much greater that is now done for us. And there's another sense in which they're greater as well. Leslie Newbegin, who was a missionary to India and a theologian who wrote a ton in the, the 20th century, he's the person to read about missions and the call of the church to be a, a mission organization in the world, to be on mission with God. About this passage, he wrote this. I want you to hear it. He said, The signs of the presence of the reign of God, which were given in the ministry of Jesus, carried out on a, a narrow stage in Galilee and Judea will now be multiplied on a far wider stage. The glorifying of the Father in the Son through the victory of the cross will be extended to the whole creation through the believing words and works of the church until the whole earth is filled with God's glory. And this will be possible through the coming of the Holy Spirit. Living in this age of Pentecost means being empowered by the paraclete to parakaleo. This is what our lives will look like, Jesus says, if we believe in him. If we love him and keep his commandments, then the church and all of us within it are called to these greater works, to calling people back to God, to comforting and encouraging and consoling others in Christ's name and because of all Christ has done for us exhorting and teaching the world what it means to be fully human and fully alive in Christ. By the Spirit, the church is sent to the ends of the earth that by our words and our work, 
by the way in which we live and work and play and interact with one another and our neighbors, Christ's glory may be manifest to the ends of the earth, that all those with eyes to see may see the glory of Christ within us too. So I'll leave you with this question. How is the Holy Spirit stirring within you now that through your words and work, the glory and light of Jesus may shine into your corner of the world? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe upon our dry and dusty lives. Fill us again with your presence, with your fire burning in our hearts. Encourage, comfort, console us, and then blow us out of this place that we may reflect your light to the ends of the earth. That in every interaction we have, large and small and seemingly meaningless, we may find ways to point to you and your glory, to your coming kingdom that is making all things well. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us up. In the name of Christ our Savior we pray. Amen.